two, one. We are live for a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host, and as usual, I'm joined by Swain. As usual, <laughs> I'm joined by Seth Wintrob. How are you doing today, Seth? Good. I'm not just waking up like you are in Japan. So yes, we have a, a weird schedule this week. Seth was all over Europe and just came back just in time for the podcast in New York. But uh, for me, I'm still in Tokyo right now. So uh, I'm 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 ahead of you. I'm a time traveler. It's already Saturday morning for me, uh, 5 a.m. But uh, I'm I'm feeling pretty good. I think we're gonna have a good show, regardless of uh, me being dead asleep 10 minutes ago. And we have plenty to talk about, including uh, why I'm here in Japan. Part, part, partly why I'm here in Japan, because there's a lot of things that I uh, fortunately cannot talk about. <laughs> but uh, um, what I can talk about, I will. Uh, don't worry about that. But uh, let's start with uh, some uh, a little bit of Tesla news, as we all usually do. Uh, starting with uh, a rare new color for for Tesla, the Model S and X is getting a new stealth gray. So it's very stealthy. So you might not be able to recognize the vehicle in the in the picture right now on your screen if you're on the YouTube version of the podcast. But this is a new stealth green. I'm, I'm kidding because it's actually pretty uh, pretty obvious and pretty um, similar to the midnight gray that we see on the Model 3 and Model um, Y. Actually, the new standard color on Model 3 and Model Y uh, since the earlier this year. Uh, now, Molest and, and X getting a new color is interesting because Tesla, as part of the big price cuts earlier this year, they uh, they made all colors uh, standard, like or or included, I should say, uh, in the price. So there's no twenty five hundred dollar markup for each color anymore. So you can choose anything, and now you have a new option on it, the style gray, which looks pretty cool. Like I, like I said, reminiscent of the midnight silver, but a little bit uh, darker, in my opinion. Uh, what do you think? Seth? It looks like, like a little mat mattier or something, right? Yeah, or... I mean, it's so difficult to tell just from the picture, but right. Yeah, maybe. And I, uh, I I have to wonder why they did that and not like a green or a brown or. Well, orange. I mean, maybe it's the wraps, the new wraps coming right. that are uh, gonna take care of those more uh, little out there colors like green and brown. But uh, you, you, I mean, you need a silver, a gray, or something like that in your regular lineup. So. Uh, this is nice. I mean, this picture is with the aerial wheels, but uh, this one with the arachnids looks pretty sharp to me. Yeah, it looks pretty good. Mm -hmm. Green. I, I think green's the way to go. Yeah. I mean, back in the day when they had this this green in the lineup, they were like uh, the, the darker, like the forest green almost. It was very good. Yeah. Uh, we have a slight increase in model wild pricing this week. So that's uh, that's breaking the trend. Uh, obviously, the trend has been price decreases uh, throughout the whole year. Uh, I mean, it had uh, a lot of impact um, in the entire industry, a lot of impacts in companies. We just heard from Hertz that uh, they just had the earnings this year and they, uh, this week, and they are hurting and primarily because of their Tesla fleet being devalued from these big price cuts. So they're going to be happy to hear uh, that one. But um, not that it's a massive price increase. It's basically not even notable we're just noting it for the fact that it is breaking the trend of uh of the the price decrease so it's a 500 500 increase and it's only on the dual motor all-wheel drive long range version which uh, went up from uh, 48 uh 1500 to 49000 dollars uh the uh the price of the newly uh, launched rear-wheel drive version is staying at uh, 44000 dollars and uh, Model Y performance uh, also stays unchanged at fifty-two thousand five hundred. 
So a lot of speculation around that. Obviously, if Tesla is staying true to its strategy while it was decreasing prices, the, the argument was that they are keeping track of orders very closely, keeping track of production capacity, and they want both of them to match, obviously. And um, when demand was not matching production, they would rely on price decreases to um, remedy that. Now, shareholders lately have been pushing for finding new solution to price decreases because Tesla went from um, uh, incredible like 20 plus percent gross margin to now in the high teens. And it's still it's still a very good gross margin for the industry, but it's uh, it's not what uh, the investors have been accustomed to. And there is an argument to be made that with uh, a, a, a small budget per car, but would create a pretty big budget for Tesla overall, just because of the size of the fleet uh, or the production rate, I should say, that they could have uh, an impactful advertising um, budget that could compensate for the uh, decrepancy in demand versus production without having to decrease prices. Now, Elon seems to be a little more skeptical about that, saying that uh, they see some potential impact, but uh, it, they, they haven't exactly figured out how to do that larger scale just yet. Um, so that might be an early sign that things are working for the Model Y on these, on these fronts, because I know that the ads have been very targeted in, in specific areas and especially around incentives. Uh, so whenever they, wherever they are incentive, they're like, yeah, uh, if you get that incentive, that car is actually uh, pretty cheap. Um, so then it's the, that kind of advertising, really, not the like, Super Bowl ad kind of type of thing that most people think about when uh, when they think uh, car advertising. I mean, why even do a five hundred dollar increase? Like, is that? Gonna I, I think sell? I think it is a signal that they're sending. Like, I think they're just hey, we're, we're doing because we're of, like, the stock took a big heat, hit over the last week. Like since the earnings, right. it it took a, a big uh, nosedive. So uh, I think, um, I don't know what the stock did today. I think th th this morning, when I went to sleep this morning, it was still pre-market. So uh, it, it was, it was up pre-market. What did I it do it today? I, I, I can, uh, I don't hear you super well set right now, I have to say. Oh, maybe I'll turn it up. Yeah, if you can um, turn it up. Right. It's, it's up, uh, looks like two points, no, one and a half points. Mm -hmm. So not, not very much. Yeah, not very much. Um. By the way, if you, if you guys uh, can let us know in the live comments if the audio is okay and everything on your side, that would that would be nice. I'm just because it's since I'm on my travel setup, I don't know if uh, I'm just the one that's not hearing set correctly or if it's uh, yeah, you sound everyone. you sound pretty good. Okay, perfect, perfect. All right, All right this is a very interesting one this week. That uh, I think that was just yesterday. My days are very confusing. My days these them um, with the the 13 hour time difference. But Tesla announced Tesla and BP announced a deal that is a first of its kind where Tesla is selling a hundred million dollars worth of supercharger hardware to BP. BP is obviously the giant petroleum company, British petroleum. Um, so this is a deal where BP is buying the actual supercharger chargers, the stall and everything. But apparently the stalls are going to be a little bit modified. Like you can see here, it's uh, the same shape as the new V4 superchargers, but uh, with the BP logo on it, BP Pulse, exactly. And uh, they're going to deploy that at their, at their location in North America. Uh, so BP, um, I don't think BP has like BP branded location like they do elsewhere. But uh, in America, they are on their travel centers for America. 
Thorntons. No, there's PP stations. There's PP stations? Okay, cool. Uh, AM, PM, and uh, Omak, uh, Amako, Amoko, Amco. Yeah. And the those new. Those are all like. Those are all those gas are all stations. Right? Standard oil things, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they have these new charging GigaHub sites that they are deploying in some uh, big cities also. As well as Earth's location. Why, why would it? Why would be ah, deployed? Charging Teslas. I don't know. Yeah. But I guess Hertz could do that if they wanted. I don't know. Yeah. Why and not? the first installation are coming to, to Houston, Phoenix, Los Angeles, Chicago, and Washington, DC. So this is this is almost completely new. I, I don't say I don't say it's completely new just because of I I remember back in the day, so I don't know if you remember this is like 2015, 2016, the early day of supercharger deployments. Tesla for a time was selling superchargers to private owners for a while. Right. Um, there was a few stations that were deployed. Uh, I remember one in Sweden, for example, and uh, uh, some of them in, like in, in Jordan for a while, um, where companies could buy them, deploy them themselves. It's just Tesla hardware, Tesla branded. Uh, they would not necessarily appear in the Tesla's network, just depending on what the, the owners wanted to do with them. If it was like for a private fleet or whatever. Or yeah, if, I think they're mostly if, fleets. Yeah. Or if it was some of them, actually, I think I remember a few that were actually included in the network just because they allowed people to use it. But that was, again, that was so early days and probably not the case anymore. Like you, you don't want to operate a, a free supercharger station these not days. These that, days no. that would be a money losing operation. But yeah, so, so this is not the first time that Tesla has sold supercharger hardware to a third party, but it's the first time at this scale and for the specific purpose of creating their own uh, charging network. So this is Tesla competing with companies like ABB, Tritium, and all these other charging hardware manufacturer. Uh, so these are suppliers of like Electrify America, for example, uh, that they use that. So now Tesla is opening the door as like, ah, we could be one of those. And Rebecca Tunushi, which she's the, basically the head of uh, charging infrastructure at Tesla, commented on the announcement saying, at Tesla, we are driven to enable great charging experiences for all EV owners. Selling our fast charging hardware is a new step for us and one we're looking to expand in support of our mission to accelerate the world transition to sustainable energy. We appreciate BP's partnership in this area. It's the right step toward more sustainable future. So she seemed to confirm that um, this might be a new a new business for Tesla, yep. because they plan to expand it. Um, so it, it would be interesting to see where these things goes. Because um, yeah, I mean, we we don't know like hundred million. They only said a hundred million dollars. I would have preferred if they said like the the actual uh, number of station or number of stalls even. Uh, $100 million, I would assume that it's a decent number because uh, the thing is, we know that Tesla is extremely competitive in terms of cost of deploying their own supercharger station. Now, I'm sure they're taking a little markup when they're selling to others, but um, we we even saw, like, we, we have very little data, obviously, on that. All the data is pretty opaque. Tesla doesn't have to say how much it costs for them to deploy a charging station. But at one point, we did have one piece of data that was very interesting in the... Um, Texas um, program for incentive for deploying supercharge uh, deploying charging station period there uh, where they had to disclose their cost and at least for that program Tesla's cost was a fifth per stall of 
um, the other big ones like the the shells, the the the, the EA, EA, I don't I don't remember if EA was in there, but like the charge point and and all that, a fifth of the cost of deployment for the for the same capacity. So, so you you can understand maybe if BP had like a, uh, sent out some some specs to um, to suppliers and they came back with some offers and Tesla was among them, uh, you can figure out that probably they went with the cheapest one and it was Tesla. So if Tesla start doing that with more um, projects, they could they could take over a, a big part of the market. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a big one for ChargePoint. They're, you know, ChargePoint is the one that usually OEMs out. Um, obviously, ABB, uh, there's a bunch of other uh, companies that do uh, DF, uh, what, what are they called? Uh, DC fast charging. Yeah. Um, kind of a big deal. I think this is, you know, because we know Tesla can make these at scale, as you said, at a fraction of the cost. Why would it, you know, why would somebody buy from anybody else? Like uh, these work with all EVs. Obviously, Tesla's network is the best. One question besides, you know, the obvious is like, is this going to be on Tesla's app or is BP going to have a separate app? You know, do they work? Do they play nice with other ones? So like if BP has, you know, some other, you know, ABB chargers already installed, um, are these going to compete with those or work nicely with them? So I would assume that um, what I think is going to happen personally, so this is uh, this, this is an assumption, but uh, as now other charging network adapt the NACs, what we're likely going to see, we're going to see another tab in the Tesla's navigation system. Like, uh, like mm. you, you have the, the, the supercharger tab, you have the destination charger tab, and you have probably the non-supercharger DC chargers with NACs. I'm sure they're gonna find an abbreviation to that, but uh, this would fall under that category where you guys, you guys can go to this. You can even you can use them without an adapter. It's just it's not within our network because it's gonna be a difference in terms of like pricing and things like that, obviously. Uh, so because BP is gonna operate that, so they, they're gonna uh, they're gonna set their price and it's gonna be gas station pricing, everyone. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. Uh, we get a little bit more information about the um, performance, ludicrous, plaid version, whatever the new version of the performance model 3 is going to be with the island update. Um, might be sport version, actually, based on this information. This information is coming from Green, a uh, friend of the uh, publication and uh, infamous Tesla hacker who's uh, every now and again likes to dive deep into the, the, the code of new software updates from Tesla and find new features in there. And he found a bunch of um, interesting data this week and uh, some renders that uh, Tesla referred to as a sport version of the Model 3. And uh, the sport version is going to feature new seats. And uh, you see them here, uh, front seat. Well, the back seat also new, but we already knew that from the the, the island that was launched in, uh, in Europe. But the front seat are, it's it's hard to tell exactly here for people, but uh, they, they, they are well updated here like i'm going to zoom in a little bit like you can see a lot more side supports all the way up um yep. near the headrest so normally you don't have that part here if you're watching the video version of the podcast i'm pointing to uh um the side support up the shoulders basically and also more side support at the bottom uh here so this is uh this is interesting because it's not usual for tesla to change the interior of its vehicles for a performance version or sports version or whatever. 
um, Tesla, obviously, normally they basically don't change anything other than the suspension and, and brakes, um, which also are going to be changed here. That that was not in the green update, but we got that last week. If you remember, um, there was other information coming out from the uh, parts catalog that uh, referenced uh, upgraded suspension and brakes for uh, ludicrous or plaid version of the of the Model Three. Uh, but in this case, it would be an interior update too. Also, there's the power. The powertrain is it's not different for like uh, in the Model S or Model Three or Model Y from the long range version and the performance version. But normally, there's just a software lock capability that is uh, upgraded uh, for, from that. So the, the car is generally the same. So that's why it's interesting here. Is like now that now the car, at least the interior of the car, will not be the same. Now uh, we don't like this. These are details coming out of green, and they don't. We don't know how this is going to be presented to customers on the configurator level. So maybe this is actually like not. Maybe this is standard when you buy the, a new version of the performance model three, or maybe this is actually like a, a an interior upgrade, like a sports package upgrade that you get. I don't know. We're gonna have to wait and see. Still, still from green. Also, in the latest update, he found another thing that was interesting. It's a, a congestion fee. So it seems to it seems to be building up on the the uh, state of charge limitation at some supercharger stations. So this is something that was introduced in 2019. That was itself pretty controversial at, at first, at least. I, I think Tesla fixed it pretty quickly. But it's uh, when you go to a busy supercharger and the um, the state of charge is automatically limited to 80 percent. Uh, in order to shorten the charging session, because obviously the last 20% is uh, is a lot longer to achieve. So Tesla would automatically, at those specific busy supercharger station, limit the state of charge at 80%. Uh, so that created a whole hop war. Like, yeah, I mean, I get what you're doing here, Tesla, but sometimes you do need to get to 100% depending on where you're going for if you're doing a road trip or anything like that. Tesla quickly adjusted back then, and what they said, what they did instead is like they didn't limit, they didn't limit it to eighty percent. They automatically set the limit on your car at eighty percent, and then you could just go in there and increase it manually to hundred percent, uh, which I think is is pretty fair. It's, it's not it's not that big of a deal. Uh, most people were happy with that, but now uh, Green found that uh, Tesla is working on something called a congestion fee. That at those supercharger station, when they're limit to eighty percent, you can still get them up over eighty, but they're gonna charge an extra fee for it. So this is a little bit more controversial. Uh, reading at the comment section on that article when I wrote it, uh, it looks like uh, uh, some people had some interesting thoughts on it that that Tesla could uh, potentially uh, implement. That would be nice. A lot of people were suggesting that Tesla should. Actually, I don't know exactly if Tesla knows that. They can know that, but I'm, I'm sure they can figure it out. If you're local to the supercharger, uh, you should get a congestion fee for that. Uh, but if you are, because like if you're using it just for like a regular charge, you don't need to get somewhere. It's just like you're you're charging for charging. Uh, and but if you're not local to the supercharger, example, if you're on a road trip, and then you might be. Um, you're in a different circumstances with your, your, your state of charge, uh, you shouldn't be charged this congestion fee. Interesting thought, I thought. What do you think, sir? Yeah, I mean, uh, I always get those 80% uh, warnings. Uh, and, you know, it's obviously easy to move it along if you're, you know, taking a big uh, drive or it's really cold or whatever. So I don't know. Uh, I 
guess. I, I guess it depends on what the congestion fee is. If it's a lot, um, well, oh yeah. And then also, uh, you know, is the congestion fee more than the, um, you know, just staying there fee? So, uh, one thing, one reason, the idle, I, idle fee you're talking about? Yeah, the idle fee. So, like, you know, if you're eating at a diner and your supercharger's about to hit, your your car's about to hit eighty percent on a supercharger. You can dial it up to like ninety, so you you don't start getting idle fees. But yeah, I, I do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it, most people do. Yeah, I think I think uh, William William Mernier is probably referring to that right now in the comment section. He says we travel a lot, and that's pretty nice. There are lots of uh, places where people just park and leave the uh, for either shopping or a meal. So yeah, if you're if you are like the, the the charging experience now is getting so much faster that. We used to say, hey, you're going to stop to have a meal anyway or, or, or whatnot or to, to stretch your leg. And by the time you're done with that, you, you come back, your car is, is, is fully charged. But now it's getting so fast that like you don't have time to grab uh, lunch and you have to move your car if you're going to get uh, your idle fees otherwise. So, But if you charge to 100%, like the last like 10% or so long to get, it generally just gives you enough time to, to grab your, your meal. But now if you, uh, yeah, I, I well, I... I get I get it from Tesla's perspective, obviously too, because um, from a kilowatt hour basis, you're just not delivering a lot of energy at the end of that, like on, yep. on a good period of time. Yeah, it'd be nice if uh, they could do like a sentry mode, like release the uh, charger and like shoot out the charger, and then not sentry mode, but um, the remote control one, mm -hmm. uh, where yeah. I could just let go of the charger and drive away drive into a nearby parking spot yeah you, you just move charging. the car parking in front and then someone else can take the place i mean not impossible but uh yeah you would need an update to the the, the stalls themselves yeah all right moving on from tesla news uh nissan so nissan is actually the automakers that the, the automaker that brought me uh here to the show to check out um the uh japan mobility show that was uh happening all week here in tokyo and uh, they, they brought me uh, to to talk about the a lot of concepts. Honestly, uh, it's a uh, it was a show full of concepts. So in the in the headline of the of the podcast, I call it the EV concept galore in Japan. So that was pretty much it. Uh, they showed me a bunch of other things that honestly I'm a lot more excited about. But uh, they say they're gonna ruin my life if if I talk about it. I have a NDA sign. I cannot say anything about. Um, what they showed me, yes, is it was a lot. Uh, so the only thing I can say is like, they have a lot more than concept, but for now they're only showing concepts. So is let's it going to be the, the, the Leaf Hypersport? I cannot say anything, Seth. Don't, don't, oh, don't okay. uh, try to, uh, to get me sued here. Okay. <laughs> uh, Nissan unveiled the electric hypercar with insane one megawatt hour of power. So this is the the one that the unveil act the actual showed everything else that was at the show we actually already talked about because the uh, the unveiled them ahead of the show so they you have actually one you see one of them here in the background um, this uh, like uh, juke looking uh, uh, actually juke looking uh, size uh, Nissan but uh, with an extreme geometry concept on it uh, that's all electric too but uh, here this is the uh, Hyperforce the Nissan Hyperforce. It's uh, basically a showcase of a lot of future technology in, uh, in that's coming to Nissan. Uh, the, obviously, they didn't say anything about this being a, a future production car. Um, but 
actually what I learned after the fact, it's not in the article because I learned, uh, I learned it at the, uh, at the visit at the Nissan Advanced Technical Center after that. And that's actually something that I can talk about is uh, one of, one of the features that is in supposedly in this car. Oh, this is obviously a prototype, but they say that, uh, it would be powered by solid state. Uh, batteries and we did have an update on solid state batteries at the at the Nissan Technical Center. They're talking about uh, starting a production line in Tokyo next year in 2024 uh, for solid state batteries, and uh, but commercialization not until 2028. So don't hold your bread on that. Uh, but the, but we we've seen a lot of progress in solid state lately. Uh, if you, uh, I suggest you guys, if you're interested in solid state, you should read the Scooter's article this week on the the, the QuantumScape update. Uh, was very detailed. QuantumScape is very good at uh, every quarter is giving a very detailed update on on their progress or conversation, and these seem to be one of the more uh, um, realistic ones in terms of like uh, timeline and all that. They're not uh, pie in the skies type of thing. Uh, and they, they've been making a lot of progress too. So 2028 is not like uh, uh, insanely aggressive timeline for Nissan here in terms of uh, achieving a solid state, a commercial a commercialization of solid state. But they have a few of their concept, like uh, they're like time type of uh, preparing for uh, different um, user experience inside the vehicle based on driving mode. So you have a touring mode and a, and a racing mode and the entire user interface inside the car changes uh, between that. Um, they, they're, Nissan is working a lot on uh, what's going to happen when cars are autonomous and use of VR inside the car, use of AR inside the cars and, and, and things like that. So uh, you see that in this concept here. Um, it's pretty crazy. Should we do our read real quick? Oh, yeah. Do we have a read this week? I had to know. Sorry. Yep. No worries. Today's episode is sponsored by Is In Wheel, a smart e-scooter and mobility brand celebrating five years of innovation and sustainable travel. Is In Wheel showcases its passion for making riding fun through its daily efforts, not only striving to provide an efficient commute, but also more enjoyable riding experience for all. Is In Wheel delivers convenient, eco-friendly, stylish, and affordable ways of transportation, including a complete lineup of e-scooters, e-skateboards, and e-bikes that fit your lifestyle, whether you are a student, a commuter, an athlete, or an outdoor enthusiast. No more hassle, just ease and fun. As mo- mobility experts, in, Is In Wheel aims to offer consumers around the world a high-quality range of e-scooters on the market, as well as insightful information on each of those products. With customer service teams based in the UK, EU, and US, Is In Wheel experts are available to help find the best mobility products that work for you. As a manufacturer, Is In Wheel obtains great discounts, which it then passes on to its customers in the form of lower prices and frequent sales. Take advantage of scary good deals during Is In Wheel's Halloween sale going on now. Learn more at Is In Wheel. That's I S I N W H E E L dot com. Yeah, I'm looking at those prices uh, for the Halloween sale. It actually looks pretty, pretty good prices there. You can get a scooter for 260 bucks. It's uh, that's not bad at all. Nope. It's weird. Halloween is not necessarily known for like a discount time, but uh, is wheel is is taking advantage of it. Yep, pre uh, Black Friday. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, this another concept, but this one actually announced for production. Um, or at least a production version is going to come. It's actually going to be the first Infinity 
uh, vehicles. So Infinity, the fact that we, we've been complaining a lot about the fact that Infinity doesn't have an electric vehicle yet, it made no sense. Nissan, the, 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 the corporate uh, company for, for Infinity, uh, parent company, well, however you want to call it, had EVs since 2010, and now uh, we're 2023, and the Infinity uh, didn't go electric. But this is going to be the first one, the Infinity QE, and uh, the um, the the concept itself is absolutely stunning. It's a uh, it's uh, basically they approach it as like we a sculpture, like they wanted to make it like a piece of art that's not necessarily like inspired by cars, but just can stand alone as 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 art itself and it shows in the in the like look at the the back end of that car it's pretty pretty stunning um and um yeah it's a, a full-size sedan so that's uh, that confirms that the first uh, the first infinity electric is going to be a full-size sedan so it's going to compete with the the model s the lucid and all these cars in the in the lineup and they briefly showed a little bit to an electric suv that's gonna that's gonna be uh, they didn't show much pictures of it just this quick image of uh an electric suv that's gonna come after that and this uh this infinity electric to uh qe it's called right now but i don't think that's gonna be the the, the uh, name of the official production version uh, it's gonna be built in the u.s uh at the uh, kenton mississippi uh, factory that uh, nissan has there so it's uh they're going to be able to take advantage of the incentives uh, so that's going to be a, a, a real boost in nissan's um presence in North America in the EV space. They haven't released any specs or anything like that. So we, don't, we, we cannot uh, dive into that, but uh, looks pretty sharp from the concept at the very least. Um, all right, I'm, I'm going to skip that one for now just to uh, talk about another concept. This one I was uh, I was excited about at the show. Like uh, again, I told you I was I was walking to the the Japan Mobility Show on on Monday, um, Tuesday, Tuesday, I guess. Um, and um, a lot of EVs, a lot of EVs, but uh, a lot of them it's harder to get excited about. First of all, as a North American uh, reporter, because uh, a lot of them are not coming sorry, to to the to the US to Canada. Uh, more more of them are coming to Europe. I know we have a. Uh, an audience in Europe too uh, on the podcast, so you guys are, are going to be a little bit more, a little bit luckier. Um, and also, yeah, a lot of concept vehicles, so vehicles that we're not even sure is going to make it to production. But this one, this one apparently will. And looking at it too, it's it's not a super concepty car. It actually looked like it's something that's pretty close to production, even as side mirrors. <laughs> that's that's often a good tell <laughs> if it has side mirrors or not. It that's has door indulges. Like Dorian Dulles and side mirrors are pretty good to tell. And it's uh it's a comeback, it's a prelude. So for those that remember yeah. the, the prelude from the uh eighties and nineties and uh even seventies? Uh yeah, it's yeah, it, it was in the seventies. Yeah, it launched in seventy I seventy eight. And uh it was a very popular car at one point, like uh, just between the, the second generation and eighty three and eighty seven. So that was the, the peak of the prelude. That was three hundred thousand units were sold. Um I think it's uh, over five hundred thousand units of the prelude were sold, which is which is very good for a coupe. A two door coupe is not uh, uh, they're generally not a super high volume vehicle, but it was a fairly inexpensive vehicle for a sports car looking coupe, uh, a lighter weight vehicle too. Uh, now, obviously, this this is why we haven't not seen a lot of two door coupe in uh, in EVs because of the the weight issues uh, that that comes with it. It, it it's kind of countered what's fun about these cars. But now with a lot of advancement in energy density and the batteries, 
I I knew it, it has to come soon. I mean, we, we've been talking about the Miata forever now, the an electric Miata. A lot of people are waiting for that. And uh, Mazda also had a bunch of concept <laughs> at the at the event, uh, but nothing that the that was electric. Unfortunately, they had the one with the rotary engine in there. Uh, but uh, that some people are saying that that version might become uh, an electric Miata in the future, but Mazda doesn't want to confirm anything on that, so they're not uh, not announcing anything just yet. But the Prelude, uh, also a weird announcement from the Prelude. It, it was kind of uh, in the background of the Honda presentation. There, the 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 press release that they released on it didn't have like any pictures or anything. But I grabbed a few from the floor here. Uh, it was obviously a, a, a unfinished. Uh, model like it's not a working prototype or anything like that like there's no interior but it does look uh, advanced and uh, the way that uh, Toshiro uh, Maibe the, the president of Honda announced it he didn't even announce it as an electric vehicle per se but you have to kind of read it between the lines so Honda like a like a few legacy automakers especially in Japan it's a term that's more popular in Japan they like to use the electrified term so they don't they see the vehicles electrified which is kind of a blanket blanket term that uh, includes uh, hybrids, plug-in hybrids, and electric battery electric vehicles. But the way he said it, he made it sound like it would be a fully electric vehicle. So this model will become the prelude for a future model, which will inherit the joy of driving into the full-fledged electrified future and embody Honda's on ultrad sports mindset. So full-fledged electrified so it kind of was like a, <clears throat> a wink wink it's going to be all electric but uh, we don't mention all electric because we're weird at, at Honda. and yeah uh, it it's yeah. almost like they've been lying about electrification for so long so that they, they have to say full-fledged electric <laughs> yeah. and, and electrified instead yeah. of their their typical kind of with tesla and like full self-driving <laughs> like it's it's self-driving or not <laughs> like it's not right. full self-driving uh but yeah, and at the at the at the show, okay, I was trying to talk to people and like, can you guys just confirm that it's going to be a battery electric, all electric, and everything? It's like everything is what uh, Mister Toshiro said. Like, okay, like kind of actually assume that it is, but it's a bit frustrating. Another another kind of hint to it would be the the name actually, and I know it's a comeback of a previous car, but uh, you have the prologue uh, that is the. Uh, crossover SUV that uh, um, Honda is doing that's all electric. So maybe it's kind of a naming scheme for their electric vehicles, Prologue, Prelude. I don't know. Well, Prelude's been around for a while, but yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, I remember. Yeah, but Prelude... it's, been, it's been out for a while too. It's been out since 2022. Yeah. I remember those things in the 80s had that four-wheel steering. They were like the first like normal car to have it. Oh, really? And yeah, it had, uh, there was like this ad where they, it made like a sharp left and then kept going straight. It was a really cool car. Uh, back, back when I was like into those kind of things, mm-hmm. that was my, uh, at one point it was the car I wanted to get. So it's kind of interesting to see it come back now looking maybe, really good. I'd say maybe it would come back as a four wheel steering car too. It would be interesting. Yep. All right. Now let's get into this here. Like there's been a few announcements this week from, from Honda, from GM, from Ford, uh, a lot of, uh, Things that are being framed as slowdown from, from on the electric vehicle front. So, in terms of Honda, here they announced that they are abandoning the plan to build uh, electric vehicles with uh, with GM. So they have this uh, this partnership with GM to build a, a few electric cars on the Ultium platform. Uh, so Ultium built so G, GM powertrains 
with Honda built cars under the Honda brand. And um, they, uh, they confirmed that this plan has been killed now. And uh, they, they, uh, they say that uh, the level of affordability that they were trying to reach is, uh, is not there. So they are giving it up. And, uh, and this is one of several announcements this week on that front. Uh, so the, um, you also have uh, GM that uh, announced the, the pushbacks of the Equinox. Silverado, GMC Serie EV, uh, and they give a Lucian Bolt update. So, okay, so I didn't I didn't have time to read all the articles that came out this week. I was pretty busy here in Japan, so I'm gonna discover this one um, at the same one as as you at the same time as you guys. Uh, so Barra said that they're gonna be adjustment that will make our vehicle less expensive to produce and more profitable in the future. Okay. Yeah, they're adding LFP batteries to the Bolt. Uh, what? LFP batteries to the Bolt? Ah, okay, okay, that's nice. Which uh, is good for price, not necessarily good for performance, but uh, it's a bolt, you know. Not try- not trying to build the Corvette. Yeah. So she said they are moderating the acceleration. <laughs> That's such a weird word. Moderating the acceleration. So are you accelerating or are you not accelerating? Because you're moderating the acceleration. It's, you're, it's you're more like they're, rege- they're regening at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's, you're, it sounds like you're decelerating. So, so she found a way to say that they're decelerating their EV production in North America by using the word acceleration. <laughs> that's, that's such a politician way of talking. Uh, yeah. In North America to protect our pricing. So protect our pricing. So same in similar uh, line as uh, what Honda said about their their plan, adjust to slower near term growth in demand. So again, they're blaming it on demand and implement engineering efficiency in other ways. So what, so they said that it's going to impact the Equinox AV, Silverado AV, RST. So I think that's the first version of the Silverado that was planned. The RST, right? No, the RST is the more like the Silverado did a fleet version first, and then the okay. RST was supposed to come at the end of the year. Okay, that was the consumer version. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the GMC Sierra EV. Uh, so uh, no, no specific mentions. She, she said it would be a few months. Okay. All right. So not too bad, I guess. Well, months. it's already all these things have already been delayed, so it's yeah. it's not it's not going well. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. And uh, yeah, uh, at the same time, we we should have broken down those two <laughs> those two news separately because the guy like like the the the. Very different type of news, the slowdown of all these EVs and the Altium. So, yeah, it's, it's just the LFP set that, that, that's new? That's the confirm? only new piece. I mean, they, okay. they said a lot of words, but none of them were like newsy type things. And uh, do we have a timing on the uh, Altium made bolt? No. No? Okay. So, they said gonna, it was going to be, there could be a significant gap between the stop of production this year and, and the new version of the bolt yeah it's going to be interesting at the beginning of 2024 what is gm going to be selling in turn like the q1 2024 how many yeah their ev there's not gonna be a lot of evs on their uh their list uh except maybe some used bolts Mm -hmm. like at the showroom there's not going to be a lot of uh electric options at chevy dealers yeah it's it's weird because like even the fact that they announced that the bolt is is done, like because th- this almost sounds like this is going to be a new generation of the bolt. So so like the bolt is not dead, but like they, they announced it like oh we're done, we're stopping production of the bolt. The program is is there, and then yeah. like a few months later they're like, but we're going to do an Ultium bolt. Well, that's that's a new bolt. So like it's kind of a weird way to 
move the program. Yeah, they, they said they changed their mind. One other piece of information that they, she reiterated this time, but they said before, is that because the, they already have a bolt, that this is going to save two years of development time. So I don't know how long you know a typical de- car development takes. Mm-hmm. But she said it's going to be two years less than a typical car. Yeah, I think it's I mean, like on average, it's like seven years for legacy automakers. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how much gap between the mm-hmm. uh, the old bolt and the new bolt. I'm, although I have to say, like the new bolt's not going to have CarPlay or Android Auto currently. It's it's going to have yeah. LFP batteries. Like mm-hmm. I so far, the old bolt's sounding pretty good. Yeah. Um... All right, the, one of the Altium not delayed is the Blazer EV. So this week there was a release of uh, all the details in terms of uh, the trims that's going to be available with the, the pricing accompanied to it. So um, uh, here we have them, starting with the 2LT all-wheel drive version. Oh, you only have all... Oh, no, you have one wheel drive here, but it's the most expensive one. What the... Where's that? Hmm, okay. I think it's got a bigger battery. Yeah, it does. But it... But hmm. no, but that's it has to have the same batteries as the all-wheel drive RRS, but it's more expensive. That's a weird strategy here. Hmm, okay, so if you're not, um, I'm going to explain it to you if you're not seeing on the what I'm looking at right now. So you have the two LT all-wheel drive starting at fifty-six thousand seven hundred dollars. You get two hundred seventy-nine ra- uh, miles of range EPA estimate, or actually EPA. No, I think I think the EPA has already been released on that. So and yeah, then, those are the fir- the first two, and the RS rear wheel drive has not been given an EPA range or. But you have an or- estimate from GM of three hundred and twenty miles. They haven't released right. the horsepower, which is going to be over two eighty eight because that's the one of the base all wheel uh, uh, under two eighty eight because that's the all wheel drive version. But they are charging a higher price of sixty one thousand seven hundred and ninety than the uh, RS all wheel drive, which. So, sounds like it would have the same battery pack as right. those two because it's getting 279 miles of range and the other 320 because of the efficiency gain from being rear-wheel drive. But they are charging $1,500 more for the rear-wheel drive version than the all-wheel drive. That's weird. We might want to check our numbers there. Yeah. Or GM might yeah. want to check their numbers. Yeah. I assume that... Uh, or a car and driver, I guess. Yeah. I see. Oh, a car driver? Yeah, that. Yeah, that was not official from... Yeah. I'll, we'll check with Peter. Peter wrote this article. We'll check if uh, make sure that we are on the same page because that's a that would be very surprising to me. So yeah, it was uh, kind of uh, the uh, earnings galore for automakers this week in North America. So Ford also uh, released their, their their numbers, and uh, Ford is an interesting one because they split their EV business with their gasoline business to give a better insight of uh, what's going to happen in the future. And uh, it was a uh, a bad one this week, apparently. The um, so uh, a lot of uh, bigger EV losses uh, throughout the lineup. Obviously, the UAW strike didn't help, though. Though the UAW strike was uh, barely in Q3, right? Uh, I think it was like at the very end of Q3. Yeah, and it was only six weeks, I think. Yeah, Total. I think it's going to be more impactful in Q4, actually. Uh, but uh, yeah, so the operating losses for the EV business. Um, the model model E for model E, uh, one point three billion dollars, so two hundred million dollars more than the, in Q three. Operating margins lost seventy five percent in the quarter. 
uh, it grew from 58% in Q2. So that's, uh, you're losing a lot of money on this, which which makes sense because they are building extremely large factories, especially for the electric vehicles, and they're not delivering a ton of EV right now. Uh, Mackie was up 44% in terms of volume, so that's that's still good. But uh, overall, they are losing $36,000 for every EV they're selling uh, right now. And that's, I mean, the average price of their EV they sell is probably around like, what, fifty, sixty thousand $60,000? So, yeah. It's uh, it hurts. Obviously, they 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 know because of uh, they were making big investment, but they announced this week uh, with their earnings that they are uh, scaling back their their EV investment right now because of uh, how they see the market. So you've seen a lot of that this week, a lot of that from uh, especially the the Japanese automakers, but the American automakers. They are looking at demand for electric vehicles, and they are like, ah, uh, the demand is not there right now, so we're scaling back, which I think is a big mistake because. Uh, it's not the EV sector that is killing back. It's the entire industry that is killing back. And yes, it's affecting the EV a little bit more because the average sticker price is a little bit more. But uh, that's just the the, uh, the higher your interest rates are on the bigger the sticker price, the bigger difference you get on your monthly payments and your monthly payments are everything when you buy a car. So obviously, the higher sticker price market segments, including EVs, are going to be hit harder. But if you're scaling back your investment now because of that, once those interest rates come back and the demand for EVs come back even harder because I don't think that the interest in EVs is slowing down in any way. I'm not sensing that at all from the market. It's just the ability to buy them is being reduced, but the interest to buy them is not. So what you're going to end up here is that as soon as it comes back with the interest rate, I mean, I, I'm assuming the interest rates are going down at some point here. I'm not, I don't have a, a crystal ball into the, the market here and the, the, the federal bank, but uh, I, I would just like what we're seeing, we're seeing like the the higher interest rate have, seems to have been working right now. We've seen inflation uh, relaxing a little bit. So if they are more, uh, ikes in rates, I think they, it would be relatively small and then it would start coming back, but it's just my assumption. So don't, it's no financial advice. Uh, but assuming that that's going to happen, if you, you slow down your investment into the production capacity on your EVs and the supply chains and all that, you're going to be screwed because then it's going to be, it's going to be the, 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 the late 2010s again, where Tesla started eating everybody's lunch and owning 80% of the market in North America. Because they are the only one that have the volume production capacity in battery electric vehicles. Yep, I agree a hundred percent. I I think this is a horrible mistake by these companies that are, you know, thinking short term. They're thinking about this next quarter, then the quarter after that. They're not thinking like, hey, every car is going to be EV in a few years. We need to make EVs profitable. We get to profitability by scaling up, and not scaling up, you know, shutting down these. Uh, or you know, delaying these big factories is not going to make it easier. It, mm-hmm. They get they're going to have to they're going to have to have a couple of bad quarters, no matter what. But they just got to get to the to the uh, volume production. And honestly, like you know, this could be the death knell for a couple of companies if if uh, if they don't get to scale. Yeah, it's like you said, it's a short short term thinking basically. Like, uh, they they're just looking at the demand right now, and they're not looking. It, but no, not only that, I think you know what's the the term for that? Like I'm too tired to remember that. But the term of like uh, confirmation bias, like you're, you're looking for 
you're looking for things that confirm your pre-existing uh, idea right. on the situation. Is the confirmation yeah. bias? Is that yeah? Okay. So I think it's more confirmation bias for. Uh, I don't think that applies to Ford necessarily. I think Ford. Uh, is, is having some issues right now, uh, especially with the UAW strike and everything. But for some of the other automakers that are maybe not super uh, all in on, on battery electric vehicles, especially here uh, in Japan, for example, and uh, uh, they, uh, they are, it's more like we, we told you guys that battery electric vehicles wouldn't work. Like when we're seeing now that demand is going down, like they're, they're, they're taking that as a, a sign to confirm where, what they already thought so that's the bigger issue i think here but sticking on the on ford uh they do have a tentative agreement with uh, uaw i don't think uh, unless things have changed since i went to sleep last night um they um they haven't signed the agreement just yet the uaw workers haven't signed it but uh, uh they have come to an agreement with ford not with gm or Stellantis just yet um, but um the the workers are coming back at Ford, so they are ending the strike preemptively uh, uh, under condition that they go forward with this agreement, uh, which is uh, I think I mean there's a bunch of things obviously, but the big one is a 25% pay raise, uh, and but it's gonna it's gonna be a little bit more impactful than just a 25% pay raise because it's it's also reduced the time drastically from the time that you start and uh, the time you reach your top wage. Uh, I think I think it was eight years before. Now I think it's four years. So that's that's a big difference. Like within four years, you can be a highest paid position on the, as a, as a worker uh, at Ford. So that's uh, that's interesting. I think Ford uh, just released a little bit more details about it. Uh, if I remember correctly, I don't I don't think it's in this article, unfortunately. But uh, it looks like uh, it's going to be a seven hundred to nine hundred dollars increase in labor cost per car. So it's significant. Uh, and I think that adds up to about a little bit less than a percent percentage point reduction in gross margin from Ford. So it's it's significant for everyone to understand because Ford doesn't have uh, those twenty percent gross margin that Tesla has. So it, it does hurt. Uh, but I'm I'm happy for the workers, and it looks like they are they, they are happy with the with the increase. And uh, it's not an easy job, so you should be fairly compensated with it. I'm just. I just don't want to see Ford go away as a company because of it either. So we have to, because uh, yeah, it's not a given. It's been around for a hundred years, but when an industry go into a massive shift like this electrification, and then, and if you have to take it to take into account here that we have like the industry, the auto industry is going into basically two massive shifts around the same time. Like the electrification shift and the autonomy shift are happening almost simultaneously. And if you somehow screw either one of them a little bit, you might be out of business. It's as simple. There's so big of a shift in the industry that it's that simple. And uh, and Ford is uh, seems to be con- cognizant of the of, of this at least. Like they, they they are one of the automaker legacy automakers that are very aware, but uh, doesn't mean that the execution is going to be there. No. Yep. All right, uh, we still have a few minutes, uh, so uh, I think we have a bunch of comments. If you guys have, I, I know I didn't say it this time, like, uh, but uh, if you guys have any question for us, you can jump in the comment section and put them right now. We're going to answer them live on the podcast. All right, Mike Boyle from YouTube says, question, I was able to get a 2023 Range Rover plug-in hybrid. Apparently very rare. I think it's a very good precursor to the all-electric Range Rover. Any idea when that will actually release? 
I was actually at the Range Rover plug-in event. I did a review of it. It's a nice car. Um, the you know the the electric range is at around I think fifty miles, so it's not you know it there's a big battery in there, and of course they've done a lot of work on the aerodynamics of those things. And um, they said that uh, I think twenty twenty five model years when the electric one's going to come to the U S. I think they might even have one in Europe before that, but um, I'm not sure. They did actually show a prototype of that at the event, so. Uh, I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. And and that's going to be a big um, competitor to probably Rivian. Or may, I don't know, maybe Cadillac. Uh, Range Rovers are typically very high end, uh, but they're also quite good at going off road. Um, I think it's more of a luxury thing than an, an adventure thing mm-hmm. uh, yeah. like Rivian. But, you know, that's, it'll be good to see those. Any thoughts on that? No, I'm not that familiar with it. I remember when you reviewed it, but... Uh... Yeah, it was a fun review. Madrid, out in the Spanish uh, highlands, whatever. All right, Neil from Gold Coast, Australia. Question, comment. Maybe the slight price increase in the Model Y relates to the introduction of some new equipment into the car. You know, slight changes, improvements are always being made to Teslas. Yeah, but uh, the pricing changes, normally it's it's more about demand than uh, than. Like if Tesla makes some improvements to the car that uh, reduce costs, normally that's uh, that goes into the gross margin if if the man allows it. All right, uh, Carl in San Diego, uh, will IBP superchargers? So uh, that means BP superchargers will be completely yeah. off Tesla network, and who will maintain them? If it's BP, this is similar to other charge point operators who will struggle to profit from installations. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, we talked a little bit about that. Like, uh, obviously, I think it's going to be uh, off the, the network. It's going to be BP's off its own network. Uh, in terms of maintenance, though, there, there, there there's, could be an opportunity that uh, the deal include maintenance because um, we know, like, uh, when Tesla sells like mega uh, packs, for example, to to companies, it, they do uh, oversee the maintenance of those packs. So, the, and it, and it's not cheap. There's a service charge, obviously, but. Um, yeah, so it would be smart that Tesla to Tesla to offer that because obviously they have the experience maintaining their own superchargers and and it, historically they have been a lot better at that than other uh, operators. So and they have a uh, global network of repair people as well. Yeah, so it, it makes sense. I think I think I, I think it's a it's a good move from BP. They, they're probably going to have a, a good network in North America out of that. All right, Andrew Higgins from LinkedIn says no other EV. SE OEM can man- manufacture DF- DCFC, that's a lot of acronyms, at cost, quality, speed of install. There's about 75% cost advantage, soup to nuts. We did talk yeah. about how yeah, that Teslas seems, are quite quite a bit better. Seems accurate. Uh, when do you think the refreshed Model 3 will be announced and delivered in the U.S.? Do you think we'll hear about it uh, on November 30th? Mm, nah, I think, I think November 30th was going to be very much a, a cyber truck. Oh, shit, I have a are you hearing that? I think my do not disturb just change. Um, the um, the the event is going to be probably more cyber truck focused, but uh, yeah, I mean Elon was asked about that at the, uh, the earnings last week, and uh, he seemed very annoyed at the question. Uh, but he seemed very annoyed at a lot of questions there. Uh, so he doesn't. The Tesla wants to keep that information very close to their chest because obviously these they're still selling the current version of the Model Three in North America and. Uh, 
And uh, when you know that the island is coming, it's going to be, uh, especially since the island didn't come with like a price increase that much or anything like that. Like, so it's people want, and, it, and it's a significant update too. So, right. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I don't have that information. All right. How much better would Cybertruck prospects be if Elon admitted he was wrong about stainless steel and they just pivoted to mild steel instead? Is he wrong? I don't, I don't know that he's I wrong. Know. What, what is yeah. the question? Like, yeah, Carl, you're going to have to... Uh, you have to elaborate of why he, he is wrong because we don't know that he is. Uh, I'm not familiar with that. We 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 took uh, William's questions already. All right. Uh, Joseph Burdick, would you steer a used car buyer away from a 2013-2015 Leaf as a commuter car as long as I take it take stock of range and battery cell health? They look like a good deal to me. Five to ten thousand dollars and U.S. thirty percent tax credit. Um, I would say if you live in a winter climate, keep in mind that, you know, even that 50 miles will go down to 40 or 30. So Joseph does mention that he's aware of the battery health situation and range. So, yeah, I mean, if you're aware of of that, it it is a a good deal. Like if you if you and again, we're talking about a commuter car. So as long as you're sure that you can cover your commute with this. And you're you're not you're you're not thinking road trips or anything like that, and you're probably thinking of a second car. I assume, yeah. I mean, that's five ten k sounds like a pretty good deal. And yeah, the, five or ten five or ten k is really inexpensive. I don't know what he said. What he means about a thirty percent tax? Oh, uh, is the the used car credit? I think it's uh, forty five hundred dollars, but it's capped at thirty percent of the of the price. Something that like that. Yeah, okay. that's what yeah. I was thinking as well. Yeah. All right, uh, Farfolomew says, question, legacy automaker stocks are tanking. GM's market cap is around $37 billion, uh, particularly bad with the uh, cruise mess. Uh, do you think that Tesla would ever consider purchasing one of them to accelerate EV adoption and raid their assets, for example? I mean, Tesla doesn't have tons of cash. Yeah, it does, well, it has $26 billion, so it's not too far from $37 billion. It could be a, it could be a stock also merger, right. but but more more on, it's more of a of a wheel uh, thing. I don't I don't think Tesla uh, wants to uh, to do that. Uh, like Tesla already bought a GM factory. When you think about it, Fremont was a GM really? Toyota factory, and uh, they weren't happy about that. Like now, Fremont is doing well, but it was very hard to switch Fremont to. Uh, EV production on large scales and do it efficiently. Uh, since then, Tesla has not done that. Like, there's been plenty of factories available for sale, but Tesla has decided to build them from the ground up instead. Um, they think it's just easier. So, yeah, I don't. I, I think Tesla would not uh, want to get into that and just uh, try to to take over an automaker unless unless the deal is like extremely good. Um, I, I just don't see it happening right now. Yeah, especially if GM isn't like in dire need of a, you know, cash injury. If they were on the ropes, maybe it would make more sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, that's what we talked about. What was the mood like in Tokyo? Uh, I mean, it's my first time in Japan, my first time in Tokyo, uh, my first time at the Japan Mobility Show. Uh, it is uh, it is a culture shock for sure. Uh, it. I mean, I knew that the Japan um, people were like it's more insular culture. Like they're not uh, super. I mean, they, they, not that they're super open to the West, but it's it's the it's very different. 
And uh, so you, you, it's very interesting to me because it gave me like a better idea into the, the, the Japanese automakers from that. And uh, I have a, like a better understanding or, or of the long time reticence to, to, to go electric, uh, especially a Toyota, for example. But uh, so, yeah, what's the mood? The mood is, uh, is uh, concepts. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, they are flashing the idea of going electric, but uh, I, I don't know if I see a very strong, like actions are better than word. And like, I'm trying, I'm having a hard time seeing the actual actions toward mass volume electric vehicles uh, right now, battery electric vehicles. Like uh, like Nissan has a lot of uh, e-power stuff, which I'm not a fan of. Like I, I saw a ton of those uh, over the last week, um, trying to push those e-power hybrids. E-power, and... e-power is the ones that have electric motors but gas generators. Yeah, exactly. In. It's basically Ugh. that. And like they show us the, the latest generation of those uh, e-power uh, engines. And I mean, I look at them, they're like, I don't know, like 10% smaller than the last one. I'm like, all right, they're still like, they look, very complex uh, versus a, a, a small electric motor and a, a battery pack. Uh, and I just, I just don't think this is the the way to go. I think, I think this is a distraction against like um, electric, uh, battery electric. So I, I want to see, I, I want to see legacy automakers status quo. And they're like, I know, you, I know, you cannot stop selling your your gas powered cars, which e power is very much a gas powered car. But I think you need to stop the development of it of this uh, of next generation of these things and just focus on 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 their your electric vehicles for everything else that you launch and I I don't see that from Japanese automakers right now. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving forward. Uh, so uh, one person says Vince says that it's confirmed that it seems that it is confirmed that Prelude is a hybrid, not pure EV. That must uh, be Vince, some other report. I've not seen that. All right, Bike Angelus Angelus says, question, are any automakers planning to release a small pickup truck? The Wolf by Alpha Motor is so appealing, but I have my doubts whether it will come to market. Ford needs to make a Lightning Ranger. I think we saw a uh, Toyota. Uh, Yeah, I saw a Toyota uh, at the the show. I don't think it's the it's as small of a pickup truck as uh, as Bike Angel is referring to here with the with the Alpha Motor Wolf. The, that thing was extremely small, but that thing like uh, if you be super careful, like we, we reported on that, like there's no doesn't seem to be any kind of significant effort behind that company, and uh, it's just a bunch of renders. Um, but yeah, uh, well, a little bit more than renders. They have like some like very early like models, but. Uh, so no, I haven't. I've not seen anything uh, in that specific size, which because that I don't know the dimensions, but looking at it, it looked it looked very small. All right, uh, Electron, a company that makes um, you know Tesla charging accessories and chargers, and and chargers for um, non-Tesla EVs, announced a test supercharger to CCS adapter named Vortex. Ships in January. I think it's only for cars that are NAX compatible but still have CCS, probably 2024 models. The problem is, is that Tesla doesn't allow any, currently doesn't allow any uh, EVs to charge at their regular superchargers, only at the ones with the magic dock, right? So you get this adapter and where are you going to take it? Yeah, I don't think that adapters does the end shakes. I think... Electron is more like preparing for something. Like the, I, I, I th- they might 
allow it. Like they, they, it's probably going to be something that they're, Tesla is gonna, not going to be the only one manufacturing because it's open. So it, it's going to happen. But um, right now, like Seth said, I think Tesla still need to approve you using the supercharger. Yeah, it's it's kind of a weird product. Um, and so Electron makes a bunch of stuff. Um, they make adapters going the other way from CCS to Tesla. And, you know, we got one. I tried it. It worked. It wasn't quite as fast as a normal Tesla adapter. But I called EVgo and um, Electrify America, and I was like, hey, uh, you know, Tesla obvi- obviously has this adapter. Um, you're going to support that. Are you going to support this third-party Electron? And both uh, charging networks were like, we can't guarantee anything. Like, it might work. It might not. But we're not going to guarantee it. Don't know why you would buy that in that case because – you know, the Tesla one's available. It's a little bit more expensive maybe, but, you know, it works at the moment, but it might not work later. And that's not something you want to kind of mess around with. The price is good though, 200 mm-hmm. bucks. So, um, all right, moving forward, uh, you think you'll see in the HD market, a diesel hybrid before an electric only state for HD trucks to be reached? I don't know what that means exactly. Uh, if you do need trucks, uh, oh yeah, heavy duty market a diesel hybrid before all electric only state for HD trucks to be reached. Uh, I don't, I, mean, I, don't I, I don't know, I don't know much about diesel hybrid. I don't know where 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 they had in terms of development or anything. Like uh, I've never looked into that, so I don't know. But uh, what's uh, what's the definition of a heavy duty truck exactly? Because uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's already. Huh? Is it a weight like a? Yeah, is it like a, like a three fifty, uh, like a Ford F three fifty or something like that? Is that is that what's what's the Navy duty truck? Yeah, probably. Uh, all right, moving forward. Uh, Joseph Burdick loved the article this week. Rivian R one T makes history as the first EV to win the off road Rebel Rally. Oh, I, I missed that, that one. That's good. I that's believe good. that's uh, with uh, a, that's a rally with uh, women only. And I think yeah, yeah, yeah. I know about Rebel Rally. Rally. It's pretty pretty difficult rally. And, um and but to, to be honest I, I thought that the the toughest part about that rally is actually the navigating it's not necessarily the how tough it is on the vehicle so i don't know how much of a of a win it is for rivian versus the 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 the, the women that were driving the the, the the vehicle but uh i mean the, the fact that he's it's able to do it is, is still good yeah um, i'm not uh, i'm not that familiar about with the rally by the way just, I, not, but i, I, I remember I've talked to some of the women behind it before and apparently the, the, the navigation is the very tough part of it yeah and if i remember correctly it's rivian employees uh that are racing so oh really i thought i thought the i thought it was journalists but maybe not yeah i think rivian actually had two teams this year no okay. uh, last year was uh employees all right daniel lewis where are the north american ev engineering hubs outside of california Everywhere outside of California just seems like manufacturing. So what uh, engineering hubs? Uh, uh, well, I, I just talked to Nissan this week, and Nissan has as an engineering hub in, uh, in Nashville, I think. Uh, yep. Uh, one they're in Nashville. Big, they're so. pretty big in Tennessee. Yeah. Um, uh, what else, though? Good question. I mean... I mean Texas. <laughs> yeah, I guess Tesla has a pretty big EV engineering hub in Texas. But, but their engine, their engineering, engineering places still in California, yeah. I believe. Yeah, well, I, mean, I think they have both now. It's like there's a lot of them in both places. But 
I'm sure there's others. I can't yeah. think of any. Yeah, same. Uh, uh, Illinois, I mean, Rivian has, uh, they have some engineering. At, it's manufacturing, yeah. she's right, uh, but they also have some engineering in Illinois. Yeah. All right, Carl Sandio, Elon said Cybertruck was going to be very hard ramp up to profitability. Then they dug their own grave. I assume it's the stainless steel feature that's the problem, unless it's the 4680 issue. Okay, Carl uh, is responding to. Uh, we asked him to elaborate on this question. Yeah. Uh, Elon admitted the stainless steel is the problem. I, I don't. Uh, you might be right. I don't. I don't know that. I don't. I don't think it's the forty six eighty though. Uh, I think that's uh, that's that's pretty clear uh, from the latest update that Tesla is going to be fine with forty six eighty uh, for now. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't mean that the stainless steel it is. Obviously, it is the new the, the novel part of the Cybertruck. So you might be right. Yeah. But I don't. I don't think they're gonna. He's gonna. He's gonna admit or like he's gonna give up on this and, and change to something else. I would. I would be very surprised at this point. All right, Jake's online. Electron's email says it will work at twenty thousand superchargers. Uh, that's possible. Yeah. But not guaranteed. And when will it work? We don't know. Um. And I think all the manufacturers that are gonna allow that to happen are gonna also provide their own adapters as well. So. I still don't know what this thing is for. Uh, Stefan Schnallblager, Jake's online question, probably not useful for a supercharger, but third-party charge point, et cetera, with a NAX point port. Oh, I guess that's a good point. Uh, if it, there's a NAX port and you, you want to go to CCS, but still, like, that's coming, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, and one last thing. Uh, go back to bed, Fred. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be hard now. Like I just had a coffee, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm in, I'm in Tokyo, and this is my first day off. I'm where I'm not actually working in Tokyo, so uh, I can actually explore. So, it, I think I think it's gonna be hard for me to go to bed right now. But uh, it would be smart so that I I can actually like go out tonight or something. But yeah. I'll see about that for following you. But thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of the Electric Podcast. If you did enjoy the show, if you can give us a thumbs up, a like, wherever, whatever it is on your podcast app, uh, it would be appreciated. If you're listening on your audio podcast uh, on, on Apple Charts and like that, if you can give us a five-star review, that helps a ton. It's free to do. It takes a second. I appreciate every single one of you that does it. And uh, we're going to see you same time, same place next week. Have a good one, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>